This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Hallowell and Chris Field, the Church Boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous, but mostly ridiculous. And I hate these guys. <laughs> you can't. You I can't do it. Keep a I straight can, face. I simply, you can't do it. I can't do it. So Billy and I were getting ready to start the show here, and uh, and uh, I said, "So what do you want to? What should we hit on first? Because usually we start the show with a little bit of fun and frivolity and and um, tasteful nudity." And, and I said, what, what should we start? What do you want to start with? What's got, I mean, like your wife's pregnant, but you haven't had the baby yet. So you don't have that story to tell. So what's going on? You want to talk about it? He says, well, maybe we should start with the story. And I said, I don't know if I can start out serious. And, um, I proved myself correct because I obviously can't start out serious. So now that we have gotten <laughs> the silliness out of the way, so at least no, I the have- worst part, wait. <laughs> the worst part is what we were going to start with, uh, you know, the, our topic of conversation to start. Not that you, we weren't laughing about it, but not even being able to get into the right frame of mind to be able to actually discuss <laughs> the Planned Parenthood videos. Okay. We couldn't even get there. Okay, so awkward transition. And go. Well, <laughs> oh, was, so I'm just gonna, we're going to do know, an action. I don't know where you were going. Right you just in. said something about the you said something about the Planned Parenthood videos. And well, I didn't know where you were going with that. So, Well, I'm just going to go then. I'm gonna okay, go here we go. It. Wait. And there you so, go. <laughs> Planned Parenthood, the wondrous organization. You're laughing Look, about the. the oh. If I if I oh. worked for Planned Parenthood right now, I would be very nervous. If I were if I were an executive at Planned Parenthood, I would be very nervous. Yeah. Look, I, I've said this about a hundred times now. Whether or not fetal body parts are being sold or donated or whatever, and I know that every time I say that, I get these these angry tweets from people saying, <laughs> "How dare you say alleged?" alleged. Um, and my response would be that none of that really matters. I mean, it does matter, but not really, because at, at the end of the day, the big piece of the puzzle, what these videos are doing, is showing, I think. The reality of what abortion is, which nobody wants to think yep. about because it's disgusting and it's vile. But now we're all forced to think about that. So everyone's Agreed. horrified, right? Yep. Everybody's terrified. They're disgusted. But really, they're disgusted by something that is a procedure that happens many times every and, year. Uh, multiple times, what, thousands of times a day. Right. I mean, not the exact procedure, obviously. but They're but, all different. You right. know. But the abortion thing and... I'm glad that it's come to light, but I, I think that I, I don't know what's more disheartening that so many Christians or so many pro-life people are surprised by this or shocked. I mean, it's well, it is shocking to see the images, but that they're surprised by this is like, no, we've known for a long time that Planned Parenthood is in the body parts business that they sell them. That has been that has been a yeah. the a one of the worst kept secrets out there. In America, as far as on the cultural fight thing, but people should have known that already. You should be shocked by what you see, but don't be surprised by it. I think that's what's more galling to me is that there is a large segment of our population that's saying, "What's the big effing deal?" I, yeah, I had a conversation with somebody the other day who I really respect and like as a person. They're they're a liberal. They're very liberal, and and she said to me, "I don't really care if somebody's selling fetal body parts." She doesn't even care, and I was like, "But." It's disgusting and oh, it's not legal. It I, well, I don't it's, care. It's so awful. I think to, to to me, and I'm not judging this person because I do really like them. 
Uh, well, I'm judging the viewpoint. I think if yeah. you can walk away after watching those videos and not be stirred or disturbed or upset or even wondering how can anybody look at the arms and legs and livers and right. stomachs of unborn babies and not be disgusted yeah. by the fact that these doctors can stand over them and laugh and talk gingerly about an arm and a leg it's and it's a, a boy, boy and all that, yeah. then there's something wrong. Yeah. Well, it's 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 incredibly disturbing to see people defending, and it's it reminds me of, and the same feeling I had when I had conversations with people. Did you ever see the movie The Island? Yes, with Ewan McGregor and yeah. who was the chick in that movie? I totally just spaced. Oh, it's Scarlett Johansson, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, and and they are living on the island, and they think that they're going. They're living in a under. They think they're living in a shelter that saved them from some sort of nuclear fallout or some sort of disease or something. And that every once in a while, somebody gets wins a drawing to get to go to a, a special island. It's called The Island is the name of the movie, and you should check it out. But it's, what it turns out is, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert because this is a spoiler, they're all clones. And what they are do, what's happening to them is they're being harvested for their body parts. So people who are super rich can say, I'm going to wind up having, if, if I wind up having you know kidney failure, I have my clone and we can just cut a kidney out of that person or, or whatever. And so they find out their clones who are, who are created solely for, uh, their body parts and their functions. There were some people who couldn't have babies, uh, some rich folks who couldn't have babies. And so they had a clone of the wife who was able to have babies and they had a baby through this woman. And once the baby was delivered, they killed the woman who, who had the baby. And so that's what I, I look at that. So anyway, so that movie comes out and I'm just, sensible people to me sensible people are appalled by that sort of action oh okay so sorry we're getting now we're getting... <laughs> somebody getting... really wants to this, get a hold it's of sidle it's it's sidle so let me close that um just a second uh, we're very professional here um <laughs> <laughs> anyway um but so we saw that movie and, and to me, sensible people go, that is a bad thing. That's not, this is not okay. And I remember my wife coming home because I was, I've always worked in conservative organizations for the most part. And, and this is, they, they would all be appalled by this kind of behavior. But my wife didn't, she worked in a very secular office and she was talking to people about the movie. They said, yeah, I saw it. They, she said, oh, isn't that just sick? They said, oh, I don't see anything wrong with it. You're like, you don't see anything wrong with that. I mean, this goes, this is the mentality of people. And these are mainstream, normal American people that she worked with. That goes way beyond the aborted fetuses and taking, taking pieces from them and selling them on the black market. This was, I don't see anything wrong with cloning people up to, and, and having them become adults and then harvesting their organs for the people who paid for them. Well, it's bizarre. I mean, but that's where we are as a society. But listen, I think, and, and this is one of the things I talked with an ethicist, and I always have to pronounce it extra carefully, an ethicist, about this issue a while back, a few weeks ago. It was Dr. Dennis Sullivan, who works at Cedarville University, and he told me, he brought up a really interesting point. This is also being used to say, hey, look, you know what? You're going to have an abortion. You're looking to have an abortion. Well, yeah. if you allow us to donate the tissue, okay, then that's really the best thing you could possibly do and it should make you feel better about it. And he expressed a lot of concern about that. Yeah. Well, and making well. people feel good about having abortions and 
But the fact is that they, they, they adjust the procedures that they do and they adjust their, their talking points to potential customers, potential <laughs> patients, quote patients, in order to get more money from the sale of these body parts. I mean, that's, that's just simply what they do. It's what's going on. Do, is there something happening? Yeah. No, it's like, Sorry. I don't understand. There's like chaos outside my door. Like, I don't get it. <laughs> it's your um, daughter banging on the door. Let me in. Let me in. Let me in. <laughs> no. no, I'm in the office and there's like right. chaos brewing outside. Well, but, chaos, and, and yeah. you know, I've got like editors IMing me like you. It's like crazy. <laughs> it's Everyone like, just wants to get a hold of us. so um, unprofessional. My, my, so <laughs> bird walk here, but this is our professionalism. So I was thinking I was going to have a nice, quiet time to be able to record this with you. So my wife and kids just got home a little bit ago because my wife, where we live, it's, it's 30 miles to the nearest Walmart, the nearest actual city. We're in a small little town and the nearest city is, you know, 30 miles away. And so she gets all the way over there because she's got to go shopping at Costco and Walmart and other places. And she takes all three kids with her and they've been just crazy all day long. So they get in the van, they drive all the way over there and she texts me. She says, I forgot my wallet. Oh. That's just the worst. So she comes rolling in. I see him pulling into the garage and I go, we're about to go record. <laughs> she says, oh, that's great. Even worse news than me finding out that I didn't have my wallet when I got over there is that I come back and my, these kids who are stir crazy. Now we're told daddy's about to record. So you got to be quiet. So I think they're down buried. <laughs> I think they're, she buried them in the basement for a while. <laughs> well, you know, interesting and, thing and is right we don't have a basement. Show, <laughs> Right before the show, I had my toddler down here. I want to see you, Daddy. I want to see you, Daddy. Coming down here, like, I want to watch Caillou, which I can't stand Caillou. Oh, like, totally invading the um, worst. my downstairs. So it's just crazy. All right. Um, so because we've been so incredibly professional, why don't we take an early break, and then we'll come back, and we're going to make a phone call. And um, some big news happened here at The Blaze this week. And so we want to uh, talk to somebody about that. And, uh, and then we'll uh, get moving on some other stuff you guys care about. <laughs> I'm sure people are just enjoying our professionalism today. Uh, why can't I find the good grief? It's like I've just lost my mind. All right. We're going to take a break. We're going to be back with a phone call. We will be right back. Back to the church board. So as we said before our oh-so-professional break, <clears throat> we had some big news happen this week at uh, at uh, at the Blaze, and um, I'm going to let Billy fill the air here a little bit while I call this person. Well, you know, this is one of those things. It's really hard to announce, and I think that in announcing it, it's really going to mean a very big change for Chris Field and his family, and I think we all need to be supportive of that on the Church Boys. And uh, Chris, I mean... Are you sure you're comfortable with me announcing your transition? Well, I was I was hoping you'd get to that. I was hoping <laughs> you'd take a little bit. Um, I was hoping you'd take a little bit longer because I'm still trying to dial this number. <laughs> no, but I'm I'm making an awful joke. But um, it's not an awful what, joke. It was actually halfway funny. It was halfway funny. What uh, what we are doing um, today is having on a very special friend of ours who made an announcement. Uh, he made that announcement via an op-ed on theblaze.com, although we've known for a while now that John Seidel, our former acting managing editor... Say that again. What was the title again? ...is <laughs> resigning. He's leaving the blaze. He's leaving us. He's been on the show before. Hello? Good afternoon, everybody. It's a great day for baseball. 
Oh, no. Can't really feel. The Cubs win. And for a while, until Harry, Harry, Harry. Is this a church boy? It is. It is. Can we get a, Can we get a Cubs win? Cubs win? Cubs win from you? Cubs win. Cubs win. Cubs win. So bizarre. I'll, I'll, I hate. Listen, I will take a a a, a Harry Carey impression any time, and that was actually a very good one. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, John Seidel on the phone. Let's give him a round of applause, Billy. Welcome to, <laughs> wo- welcome to the show, uh, John Seidel, former acting managing editor. What was it you said? I what said just, acting well, managing editor. Deputy, deputy managing editor. Yeah, I guess I was acting managing editor there for a while, too. All right. Yeah, you were um, both. I right. mean, From what basically I you managed the chaos. He did manage. It was <laughs> I, like, it's like hurting Meaning cats. I managed Billy. Right. Yeah. Oh. Chaos means I, I, I only really manage Bill. Oh, there you go. It's which is a full time job. Poor Andrea. Poor, <laughs> oh. poor Andrea. Invoking poor my child. poor, my poor wife, who's nine months plus a million other weeks pregnant. I mean, at this the point, fact just wants so, to deliver. The fact, the fact that anybody was willing to sleep with you, period, and have your children. You're awful. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely awful. <laughs> so, so John, like you're oh. you're leaving us. I am. I'm what? leaving you. I say, I'm saying sayonara. Um, I, you know, I think I'm just basically, you know, waiting on the way out. But you know, secretly, maybe, uh, you know, damning you all because, you know, I, it's it's going to be hard. I know. Right. Why are you leaving us, John? Tell us. So, you got to remind me again. So, when, when will everyone be hearing this? Uh, we'll be, we will be posting this like at super late Saturday night. Okay. So, I will do this. Um, um, only because um, I value the Church Boys podcast audience, I know you guys, I'll let you know where I'm going. It's, I think it's, it's going to be made official in a uh, you know, press release on, on Monday or so. Um, but I'm joining a Christian organization. Can you believe that? I'm making news on the First Boys podcast when I'm joining a Christian organization, um, a really great group called I Am Second, um, which just, you know, stories of life transformation, um, everyone from Bethany, it's Bethany Hamilton, right, right Billy, that the, the, the surfer that had her arm eaten by the shark, right? Yes. Um, they've done a they've done a bunch and, of videos. I've actually used them yeah. for our youth our youth group and for our church. Right. So everyone from Bethany Hamilton to Josh Hamilton, right? And, you know, um, the Ranger Star. So um, they uh, do videos really well. Um, yes. Really touch people's lives with videos, and so I now get an opportunity to go and help build out their written content. Okay. To reach people not just visually, um, but through the written word. So I am I am just absolutely stoked and excited about that. That is great. Yeah, news. it's gr- I mean it's a great organization. I just can't believe they'd let an atheist work there. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a good fit for you, and I think I mean it's one of my favorite organizations. I love their videos. I feel like. It's going to be a huge loss not having you here, and I think that I mean you got a huge reaction when you wrote when you wrote about leaving 
on the Blaze. I mean, that story was that story's been been huge all day on Friday. But most of it's um, been cheering, though. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> it's like, yay! And I, and I've, tried, I've, I've tried to, um, you know, to respond to the comments in the story, respond to the comments on Facebook. I think my favorite though was was one person. So, and 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 I'll put this to rest. One person said, you know, you did mention Glenn in, in the in the post, so therefore, you know, you you were likely fired. And I'm thinking, well, if that was the case, do you think the Blaze would let me publish a very long piece about? <laughs> saying goodbye no. and why I'm leaving. Uh, second of all, I did include a picture of me and Glenn in the post. Um, and third, you know, I chose to focus and write about the people that, you know, I dealt with on a daily basis. I think you know, we've said many times before, you know, Glenn is not part of our, our editorial process. He doesn't sit in our meetings. You know, we don't, you know, he doesn't, uh, uh, you know, send a story list things like that you know we're, we're, we're fairly independent and so right. you know um i don't deal with like nope. i deal with billy unfortunately yes and, um, and billy was and, and so that's who i chose to write about and billy was i should i should let you know that billy was extremely happy to point out that i wasn't mentioned in your list of people that you thanked and enjoyed working with he was very happy to point that out i should let you know well but here's you know the good, I mean, do we announce some of the other news, Chris? I mean, I don't know. What's that? <laughs> some of the other news? Oh, do we, I, no, yeah. we don't. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. There are some people who are going to be taking an expanded role yes. at the Blaze. So, yes. uh, That's, and, some, and some of the people that I, go ahead. And I was just going to say, in all seriousness, that is where we have to leave it right now. Right, yeah. Um, and so, um, there are people people that, you know, I may not have worked with that closely. I think, you know, I didn't mention, uh, I'm trying to think of like, like Erica Quist, right? Who right. Um, I worked with a little bit early on, but I didn't mention her. Well, but, um, but, but every, but, but no, Hey, but listen to, in, in fairness to you on that, nobody likes Erica. You're awful. <laughs> <laughs> She's like the nicest person. She's I like know. a house mom in Utah. She's like two really cute kids. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's, <laughs> she's great. Everybody loves her. Yeah, she's awesome. Um, but my departure will open up opportunities for other people, uh, people that your audience, um, some some that they know really well, and some of them that they don't, but they'll get to know better. Good. Now, in your new role that you're going to have at I Am Second, are they going to let you maybe come back and talk to us every once in a while? Is that going to be a problem? No, I didn't know. Yes, they will. And that's actually something that, you know, I'm uh, really looking forward to is, is, you know, where I, I no longer, you know, have to honestly dissect like, like, why is Donald Trump a viable or not viable candidate? Like, I don't, I don't have to talk about that anymore, right? I get to talk about, you know, great storytelling and right. tell great stories, right. which, you know, Chris and Billy can both attest to this. I um, you know, one of the things I've I've always emailed out for years is is you know, don't write articles, tell stories. Right. Um, and so now I really get to follow that passion right. anymore. Now, the 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 how the uh, Howard the uh, Donald Trump thing, which you which you brought up about him being a viable candidate or not. If he's not a viable candidate, can we harvest his hair? <laughs> Oh, I just got that joke. <laughs> you know, I in all seriousness, I would say um, uh, this was really bothering my wife last night. 
um, you know, the whole Planned Parenthood yeah. story and, you know, having uh, her and I just having, um, had a baby of our own, you know, right. uh, who's, uh, 11 weeks old now. Um, she just really struggled with this. And I think her, her, I mean, not just because of that, right? I think a lot of people should struggle with it. Um, but her point was how, like, what is the argument? Why aren't more people upset about this? And, and it was a question I really couldn't answer, right? Um, I did find some argument. There was some, a really great Reddit thread um, on Friday um, that, that was talking about the argument that some of the Planned Parenthood supporters are making, which is, you know, technically this is legal. It's not a, you know, it's not a human being. So, um, you know, what they're talking about is actually something that is in, you know, in this sort of way legal. And it was just very eye-opening to see what type of arguments those people are making. Yeah. So I, I thought it was, um, when I had, when I had a kid and tell me if you were this way or not, I don't know. I, I've always been ardently pro-life. I have been that, I mean, that has been like my number one issue since I got politically interested at all as a teenager. I mean, the pro-life mm-hmm. thing, the, the, the anti-abortion thing for me has always been like my number one issue. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I do kind of have a litmus test on that, but I, I've been ardently pro-life since the very beginning. But when I, when, when, when we had our first kid, now we've got three kids and we had our first kid eight years ago, when I saw that, that little baby girl emerge, I, I, one, you're, you're just, you're amazed at looking at this. You say, God did this. Right. And, but then you think afterwards, you're thinking as you reflect, how could anybody ever say that that's not a life, you know, six seconds before she came out. Or or, or ever, or and I felt the same way when I looked at ultrasounds during the whole process from conception all the way to birth when we'd see ultrasounds or pictures or whatever. I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, how can you? How could you ever think that abortion was okay? Did you have that change? Did you have that happen to you when you were going through that whole thing? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, when when um, when Annie, that's my daughter. When Annie came out, um, first of all, I was a, a, a mess, right? I was, I was, I was crying um, once my wife really kicked into to, to like active labor, was pushing and stuff. I mean, I was, I was crying from then on. Yeah. Um, and then when I saw her come out, I mean, you're right. I mean, I really had that exact same thought, which was even a, you know a day earlier, how you know she could have come you know, in, in any two week window. Right. And how could she be any less of a human than if her birthday was, you know, you know, June 2nd versus, you know, May 1st, right. you know? Right. Um, so I did think about that and, and I want to add this. So having grown up in an evangelical church, um, an evangelical family, I remember, my parents being really gung ho on the abortion issue, and I and I remember after I after I grew up and I and I kind of was like, uh, my parents were so gung ho that I became less so in the sense of, you know, I went off to college. Hey, there's a lot of other important things you should vote on. There's a lot, you know, it is a, an important issue. And I remember my pastor um, preaching a sermon um, about three years ago, and his point was. If there is one issue 
to be a one issue voter about. And you believe that a human, that a baby is a human inside the mother. Why would the mass genocide of, you know, a, a, um, an entire generation not be something to be a one issue voter about? Right. And it just, it hit me so hard. I said, wow, you know, I, I grew up knowing it's important. I have always thought it was important, but shame on me for criticizing my parents as much as I did once I, you know, became quote unquote older and wiser um, for, for them putting as much of an emphasis on it as they did. Yeah. So uh, to, to crassly change subjects here, you talked about telling stories and that you're always harping on that, which is true. You are harping on it and it becomes, it's like ad nauseum. <laughs> Billy, and I just shake our heads. There's John again on the story thing. Uh, so I want, I want you to tell the people here a little story because I have a, I have an audio, I have a video clip uh, oh that you actually embedded the, the video of this um, little uh, lemonade trip uh, on your, your goodbye <laughs> post. And I've, I've got it to the point where it's, there's some good audio here. Would you please set up? Uh, Billy's being a diva while he drives. Would you tell people that story? And then I'll play the clip. It's starts at about the forty-one second point, and where, where it's just Billy just and then I'm whining. I'm defend myself. Well, after, whining right, the whole time. Billy, you get no say in this. <laughs> John, John, um, would you set this up, please? Okay, you ready? Yes. All right. So we have this bright idea. If, if anyone remembers the story in love. Glenn had this map on glennbeck.com that showed where people could um, write in and say where they were holding these lemonade stands. And it would pop up on a map and you could go to the lemonade stand and show your support. So we found, um, we were originally going to go to two, and we found one that was the quote-unquote closest one. And Billy had rented the car. He had rented a GPS. He either rented a GPS or brought his, like, ghetto GPS from home. Oh, I and, brought it. I brought it. I'm, I'm yeah, really okay. Cheap. You did bring it. You did. <laughs> and um, Dallas is being built up so much, right? But there's roads now that didn't exist, you know, in 1987 when Billy's GPS was created. <laughs> um, and so, so he's, like, typed this in. And we're, like, it's leading us to the middle of nowhere. And it eventually is leading us into an industrial park. And we were expecting it to be a home. And so what you hear is Billy like, what is going on? Okay. But in the most whiny, okay. you know, girlish way. Yes. So it's just, this isn't a real long clip. So I'll just, I'll let it play. And then we'll let Billy quote, defend himself. It's and the name of the, and the, it's the perfect name for the video. Uh, the diva drive fail because Billy's getting lost looking, and he's about to start crying right there in the car. So here we go. Let's see if this works. What? She does not know where we are. All right. I think we're just going to turn right. I, no. uh, oh, here. Can we stop and shift forward? You might want to turn right. I'm going to turn right. We're in a neighborhood. Maybe the. Oh, if we listened to this, we would be dead. You would be dead. We only lost five minutes in that spectacle. Somebody made this gas station out of a pile of sticks. There isn't even gas in the thing. There's no gas gas station. Want me to get out and start yelling for her? Um, might not be the best idea. All right. 
But you can't turn. You can't even go. Yeah. Do you have you seen it? Is this a road? This is the road we're just on. We we just came through a habu, a dust storm. I've never heard of it being called a hoop. I didn't know that, that meant dust storm. I go I'm telling you this ends in a dumpster for all of us. What is that a church or a house? We can't turn left. We keep going straight. Uh, is that car moving or just blocking the road? Well, there's nowhere else to go unless we go through that grass. I'm happy to go through the grassy knoll. If this woman does not have a lemonade stand up. <laughs> <laughs> Billy's not gonna be happy. I wanna send her an email. No one even responds to this coming. <laughs> Is this a roller coaster? Holy whoa. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I am losing like <laughs> Tiffany's losing her faculties. Um There are no rules here. Did you see that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand either. I don't get it. No, she lives nowhere near here. We are 30 minutes from her house. No, we're not. That's his 332. This is 307. Are you serious? Why does she live in an industrial? <laughs> oh, there it is! There it is! Oh, okay. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. My favorite part of that line. My favorite. Listen, my wife. I put my wife read my story that you know that this was in, and she watched that back, and she goes, "Billy is really whiny, isn't he?" <laughs> my all-time, my favorite line is. This ends in a dumpster for all of us. <laughs> Do you know, okay, there's two things I want to point out about this video, okay? The first is that John thought we'd come up with a really nice news piece to bring back to the guy who was doing video editing at the time. And it would be a really nice piece of us finding this family and being like, hey, you know, we love your lemonade stand. And when, when Benny, who was the guy who was doing the editing, got the footage... And and looked at it. He all he found was me complaining and whining, and ended up putting this together. So this was, was never intended to be funny. But my favorite alert. part is Tiffany in the yeah. back seat. Her comments. Right. She's like, "I'm losing consciousness because she hadn't eaten." Like she just kept saying the most insane, oh, insane can we stop it? thing. Can we stop so at Chick Fil A? She oh, was yeah. so hungry. That was funny. That was funny. Uh, Liz Climas loves like, that video. Roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Billy is uh, Billy is a diva. So <clears throat> we should probably let you go. You've been very generous with your time, and I know you don't really. I mean, what what is it to you? You're just kind of killing time now till you start your new job, anyway. Yeah, but... yeah, I mean, listen, I'm getting I'm getting paid for you know not having to worry about anything right now. That's right. I mean, do we want, maybe we should talk about Trump. <laughs> so okay. So what is your take? We got time. Let's what, talk Trump. What is your take? What is your take on Trump? Let's get into let's get into I, and I. I don't think Billy and Billy and I have talked about this a little bit. I I would like to cover more politics, so I'm happy to talk politics on this show. What is your take on Trump, and what do you think? What do you think about the whole zeitgeist around him? So, um, I, you know, I, I don't want to share too much personal. Other than like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Other, right? other other than being but, jealous, of, other than being jealous of his hair, right? Obviously, right. He is. <laughs> refreshingly ridiculous. What I mean by that is having having done this job for five years, right? Having gone through um, you know, two presidential elections, multiple midterm elections, um, what I appreciate about Trump is it's like politics and covering the political answers 
is so boring, right? Yeah. And that is what people are sick of, right? So you have the you have the Republicans saying we're anti-establishment and we're going to be different, but like when you when you go to their soundbite, you realize, oh, they just have a it. They just traded one set of talking points for the other set of talking. Sure. And and Trump is. I don't have talking points, right? I'm just going to say what I want. Right. And sometimes I'm going to sound like an idiot. That's why he's leading. Like, people respect that. You finally have a quote-unquote politician. He, he's finally doing what he said he's going to do, which is, I'm not going to be like anyone else. I'm different. That's right. why he's leading the polls. Well, do I think he's a great presidential candidate? No. I don't think he, I don't think he would do an amazing job running the country, right? I think who did he? Who did he have? Um, someone like uh, who was it? A couple of days ago, you know, standing next to him, he's like, "This, this guy's gonna be in my cabinet," and I'm like, "You'd make that guy one of your cabinet members or advisors or something like that?" Well, he's Come good. On. He's great. He's spectacular. I mean, it's it's he's a he's he's a joke. You so, know what though? We say he's a joke. Here's what. Here's the thing about Donald he's cir- Trump. He's a circus, I should say. He's not a joke. He's no, a circus, but, and he is. That's what America has always loved about him. America's always loved to hate Donald Trump. But you know, you're talking about somebody who's a reality star. Yeah. But look, he does have a track record of success. Whether or not his father built that before he inherited it, sure, whatever, sure. he has maintained it, sustained it, and created success for himself. And he is well respected, even though we joke about him being a joke and all yeah. that. I don't know. I would be really intrigued. I don't think he's going to be president. No, obviously, I don't. I he wouldn't not. be my pick for president. But I think he could go further than people think he will. Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely. I think that refreshingly, that refreshing um, take on take that he has is going to propel him and him further. Do I think there is potentially someone better out there that could run the country? I, yeah. Um, I don't like you said, Billy. I think he's going to be the next president. But I, I really hope that other politicians take note of, of his early lead. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you listen to Rand Paul, you listen to Ted Cruz, you, um, less Chris Christie, because he's a little bit more Trump-like in that he doesn't, you know, say what you want him to say all the time. But, you know, these other poem run-of-the-mill Republicans, they just sound like a little robot, you know? Just say the same thing over and over again. Right. Well, and I think, <clears throat> excuse me, there are, there are two things that I think <clears throat> that I think Trump has really successfully tapped into, and not simply the media and the hype. And he's, he's, he's an incredible self-promoter. But as far as what I think he's tapped into uh, <clears throat> among voters is, one, on a broader spectrum, he's very pro-America, and he's very willing to say what everybody else is thinking in that Things are really crappy right now, and it is their fault. And Americans are going, finally, somebody is saying, things are crappy. Our life is in the crapper. I am so frustrated with everything that's going on. I blame everybody in Washington. And he's he's willing to say, here's what the problem Now, do I think he has viable solutions? I do not. However, I think he's pointing out problems that are people are going, finally, somebody's actually pointing out in very blunt terms our problems. I think that appeals to a larger you know, a larger spectrum. I think where he's nailing it on the base, on the on the conservative base, on the Republican base, the conservative base of the Republican Party, I should say, where I think he's getting it right is he has taken a page from um, from Newt Gingrich's playbook and expanded it into like a almost a giant jumbo coloring book. 
because that's what Trump is capable of. But what and what Newt Gingrich was really good at uh, four years ago. Remember, everybody said about him in the debates, Newt Gingrich, I love him. Listen, he's a progressive. He, I'm not a fan of his. Listen, I was his editor for a while. I know the guy. I like the guy, but he's not the right politician. He's not the right guy for president as far as Newt Gingrich goes. However, he was great in the debates because he was willing to take it to the media. When, when Chris Matthews said something ridiculous, you know, he would say, no, Chris, that's not right. And, or he would, he would lay it out and he would say, no, you're distorting things. And people loved it when Newt does that. And now Trump takes it to the Trump level of doing that to the media. Right. He's not willing to put up with the garbage from these. He's you can misquote me if you want, but here's, I'm going to call you out on it. No, you're ridiculous. No, they're lying. Now, who knows if he's actually telling the truth or if he's accurate in any of the things he says, right? But he's taken it to the media and he's not, he's not playing their game. Unlike the rest of most of the rest of the politicians, because they always have some sort of way that they're playing the political angle. And he doesn't. He just says, you know, screw you and the horse you came in on, you know. Right. And here's, and here's why, you know, if I could backtrack it, you know, if Mr. Trump is listening, right, because I know he actually, he actually likes Billy. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> he'll tweet Billy from time An- to time. Another reason not so, to elect him. Exactly. Um, but, you know. What I what we haven't really heard from Trump is we've heard a lot of what you talked about, but have we really heard substantive arguments no. for substantive policy policy arguments? No. You know what am I really going to do about X? I mean, for example, uh, you know, last week he brings the guy on stage um, while he's down at the border. The the person is asked, "Do you really think we need a fence after this whole?" immigration and fence thing was Trump's big issue. And the guy goes, no, I don't think we need a fence. And then Trump gets up after and he goes, well, we need a, we kind of need a fence in some areas, but, but yeah. maybe not others. It was just a really confusing answer. And you're like, right. so when you really got to policy and if you really stuck by your fence argument, do you really stick by your fence argument or do you not? Right. You know? Um, so that's why I think he lacks some of that um, that you know that type of um, principles. He doesn't. He he's not for principle. He's, right. Uh, you know, a good presidential candidate, like he's not is not going to flip up there. Right. And he he acts as though as president he can just do what he claims to do in business, and that's just punch people right in the nose. I mean, that's what he does in business, and that works in business. You can say, you don't like it? Fine, I'm going to build a building in front of your building. Screw you. I mean, that's what he does. But that doesn't work as president, and 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 all of us, you know, there's a part of us that likes that attitude, but at the same time, we understand that's not what a president does. But, and, and I don't think he's, I don't think he's really thought through maybe even any of the issues. I don't, I don't know. I, I it's, it's fun to hear him point out the problems and his large solution you know, immigration is a problem. We're going to build a big, great, is that your uh, fabulous Trump wall, voice? right? Well, it's sort of whatever. I don't know. It's, but he I'd says like we're, like we're going to build a wall lips during that impression. What's that? What's that? <laughs> what, what do your lips look like, Chris, when you're doing that impression? <laughs> the duck lips. I was going to say, they look a little bit you got like, like you got to, you got to put like Every this. time I've talked to Donald Trump, he acts like we're really good friends. It's like really, <laughs> it's really interesting. Well, it's, it's shocking for you because nobody has ever acted like that. You're a really good friend. <laughs> you know, I haven't interviewed Trump in a while. We should get him we on should. the church oh, boys, which great. I'm sure he'll be dying to do. And he could, could, tr- could 
critique our Trump impression. You can critique what? Critique our Trump. I need a nap. That was me. Katrique. I don't know. I don't know. All right. So, John, we're going to let you go. Now, I'm going to say something to you, and you need to listen very closely, because I'm only going to say this one time, and I will never say it to Billy unless he leaves. Okay? So, listen listen closely, because this is only going to get said once. And I, I hate to say it. I appreciate you and I love you. Oh, there you go. That's well, it. That's, you. You're only getting that once. It's not happening again. But I mean it when I said when I said it. I mean it, and I still mean it. And uh, you have been, uh, from the depths of my heart, you have been a pleasure to work with. There are times that we'll have disagreements, and I know you, you and Billy have had disagreements, and that's fine. But we always part as friends, and you are honest, and you are a stand-up guy. And, uh, and, and I wish you nothing but the best. And you have impressed me with the things that you have done with the blaze. And I'm, I can't wait to be impressed to see what you do, uh, with I am second. You really are. You are a treasure, John. And, and, uh, don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Wow. Was that like an audition for I am second, Chris? Like my God, what? (laughs) Only if, only if it worked, Billy. No, uh, no, honestly though, John. I, I mean this too. I can't imagine what Monday will be like without you around. It's going to be really weird. Uh, for both of us, because I'll be sneaking in and, and not responding to your 5 a.m. email. <laughs> uh, which I'll still be sending. <laughs> Allegedly. Right. But I, I will say, you know, you guys have a great thing going here. Um, I have loved, you know, I mean, Billy, I knew, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to admit it all the time. But in some circles, I do admit that I got Billy the job at the place. Um, <laughs> and so Billy and I have known each other for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's been quite a ride. Um, you both have been great to me um, and a pleasure to work with. So I love you both, too. And you're coming back on the show, obviously, even though you're abandoning us. Obviously. I'm I'm probably more qualified to come on the show now. That's right. Probably. There you go. And if you ever want to, you know, if there there are, you know, um, stories or publications or videos you want to hump on our show, you let us know and we'll let you on. That's not a problem. Yeah. I've become that that annoying publicist type person that now pitches you on stories that I don't like. Never mind. (laughs) It's been rescinded. (laughs) Offer's been rescinded. I love it. <laughs> All right, guys. Have All right. a good one. Hey, thanks. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. It's kind of sad, right? It is sad. He's not listening now, is he? I mean, he's like hung up, right? He can't hear yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. No, no it I'm is. It's here. sad. It's oh, weird. he's still here. <laughs> Never mind. We're not going to say anything. <laughs> he's still there, I Billy. Was, no, I, was I was about to like be really extra to... nice, but now you're here, so I can't. Oh, okay. You know. I wanted to just, I, want, I didn't know if you were like, you know, taking off air you guys have this weird way of doing this so <laughs> See, i was actually going to ask you something off air okay but i guess i can't do that no this, so. just stay on we're still recording this and this is this is us <laughs> being professional you know on a side <laughs> note who's using periscope or is it are either of you using periscope no no oh, are you well, I wanted to. No, I'm just. I'm looking at it. Right. I wanted to use it. I was going to periscope this, but I always forget that I. You, we can't hear the other side of the conversation. Can, can we take a break so John can ask us his question? All right. Okay. Hope y'all are. Hope y'all are enjoying this. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. The Church Boys. 
man, I eat these guys. So we have a, a great interview. I mean, every week we have a good interview for you, but this one I've actually been waiting to do for a while, and it's with Dr. Russell Moore. And, the, and this is a guy who I think in a lot of ways, you sort of look at his name, you look at the fact he works for the Southern Baptist Convention, he's the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. You know, it, it sounds sort of dry, right? I mean, Southern Baptist Convention sounds a little dry and old school, but I think Russell Moore is interesting in that he looks at things very, I think, differently than a lot of other faith leaders yeah. do, and and really has a positive outlook, which is sort of odd in some ways because a lot of what we've talked about is so negative, yeah. right, on the yeah. surface. Yeah. But projecting out into the future has a very positive and, outlook, and so he has this new book uh, yeah. in the spirit of that called Onward. And Onward, oh, you have a copy too, Chris. Chris, I, you can't see him, but he's holding up a copy. I got it. I got, it actually arrived last night, so I didn't have time to read it, obviously, before our interview this morning. But yes, there you go. So I think with this book onward, the whole focus is that there's actually a positive future, yeah. right, in Christianity to look towards. Yeah. And I won't I won't go on and on about but the I think he's but got some, very good. But I think he's got some solutions. He doesn't just point out problems. He points out solutions for uh, for the faith community, for the Christian community to say, listen, it's not all bad news. There are things we can do. This is this isn't beyond fixable. We can we can take care of this. So it's right. A, he's very he's very positive, which is a good thing. And he he's all about fighting for the culture. And what's what's the subhead? Engaging the culture without losing the gospel. So he's very he's very into using the gospel. But at the same time, he says we got to be careful in how we present ourselves and right. be mindful Absolutely. of those things. And not all situations are the same. There are times when you turn over tables, and there are times when you sit back and you listen. Right. So. Absolutely. And right. so anyway, without further ado, here is Dr. Russell Moore. It's Billy Hollowell here with the Church Boys. I'm here with my co-host, Chris Field. We have a special guest on the show today. It's Dr. Russell Moore. He's the president of Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission at the Southern Baptist Convention. How you doing, Dr. Moore? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on today. Well, thanks for coming on. And, I, and the reason that, and in fact, I wanted to talk with you for a while because I'm always fascinated by by your work and obviously culturally so much is happening right now. You have a new book out, Onward. And I love, I have to say, before we even talk about the book, I love the cover art on this book. It is really, really cool. It's eye-catching. It's, it's red, white, and blue. It, it's great. And we're going to make sure we link out to the book so people can uh, learn more about it and, and, you know, get a chance to get their hands on it. But I'm going to just I'm going to start throwing out some I guess loaded questions and the and the first one for you considering the topic of the book which we'll talk about um what for you when you look at sort of the landscape in society right now culturally speaking what is the most concerning trend that you're seeing I'm just going to throw it out there Well the most concerning trend that I'm seeing in the church is fear and uh, that that that's the primary reason why I wrote the book is because I, I see a lot of Christians who are hand-wringing when they look at the, at the culture around them, and they want to respond to that in either by kind of just let's, let's withdraw in and batten down the hatches, or they want to respond with just anger and, and outrage and, and screaming and jumping up and down, kind of a Yosemite Sam sort of uh, response uh, to it. So that's what concerns me the most within the church, and that's why in the book I, I try to lay out a a positive vision for where we can go uh, from here. Outside of the church, in the larger culture, I think the issue is uh, just this, um, this sense of 
radical autonomy that I'm my own uh, Lord, my own creator, my own God. I don't think that's anything new, uh, but I think it's, it's behind all of, the, all of the various questions that we're facing right now. And sometimes I think we get, we get focused on the particulars of one controversy um, at a time rather than seeing what's, what's kind of the cultural mood behind all of it. So taking, and when you, talk, when you talk about the fear in the church, right, and you talk about, and then I want to I talk about the, the latter piece that you just mentioned, but what do you think is driving that? What do you think is the driving force between sort of the, the nervousness, the fear, the worry about the future? I think there are a couple of things. Uh, one of one of those things is I think it's uh, it's people who've lost confidence in the gospel. Uh, you know, I, I think that if we if we really believe what we say we believe that the gospel is the power of God and the salvation, then uh, we shouldn't be hand wringing people when the culture around us starts to see Christianity as antagonistic and, and and strange. That's that's why you know one major theme of the book is keep Christianity strange, don't run away from the strangeness and the freakishness of Christianity, uh, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean we're losing. Uh, in many cases, it just means we're being understood. Um, that's one part of, a part of the problem. The other part of the problem is, I think, that some Christians are using the wrong frame of reference. So they're looking backward to 1950s America or 1980s America or, or uh, some other time in the past, and so they feel like when they see crazy things happening in the culture around them, that we're losing something. And so I think we can kind of internalize the, the language that people who hate us uh, can use, that we're on the wrong side of history. And, and if we start to actually believe that, then we become frantic and fearful. So, Dr. Dr. Moore, I, take, taking what you said there at the beginning about uh, fear in the church or, or whatever, that there are some people who are afraid to say anything, and then there are other people who, who want to be in this perpetual state of outrage, you know. Uh, yeah. I, I, I've seen that as well, and, and my thought is, and, to, and I want you to correct me if I'm wrong, because you're the smart one here, the people who are, who are silent or scared or acting scared are those who have um, succumbed to a misinterpretation or a misunderstanding or a quoting out of context of, of the, of the ad, <laughs> admonition to not judge, right? Because we, we don't, we always get told don't judge. Well, you have to be not judgmental because we, you ha we have a measuring stick to use to judge good and bad behavior or good and bad things or sin or, or whatever. And then there's the other side that, that, that wants to be perpetually outraged and they are always quoting Jesus turning over the tables in the temple. And then, so they're always at that level. And so how do we gently and correctly combat both of those things or deal? I shouldn't say combat both. Let's say deal with both of those things. Or maybe it's combat. I don't know. Deal with both of those things well, because you know, both sides you know, don't quote the, misquote the scripture. Well, I think one of the issues that we, that we have is that uh, Christians tend to ping back and forth between extremes. And we, we tend to think that the way that we avoid the last bad thing that we've seen is by running to the opposite pole. And so whenever I see somebody who says, oh, let's not talk about the commands of Scripture, let's just talk about who we are in Christ, uh, and so forth, typically that somebody's come out of a really legalistic uh, background, and they're, they're wanting to say, I don't ever want to go back to that. And so let's run to the other, the other side and the other direction. Right. And the same thing is true when I see somebody who wants, okay, our church needs rules about Halloween and rules about whether or not kids can play Minecraft and rules about this, that, and the other. Yeah. That's typically somebody who's come out of a really chaotic background, and they want to try to they want to try to put put guardrails up. 
And so I think we have to, at every cultural moment, we have to be asking ourselves, how can we avoid veering off from the gospel in either direction? And that's why the, uh, the subtitle of the book is Engaging the Culture Without Losing the Gospel. Right. I think there are some people who want to hold on to the gospel, but they do that without engaging the culture. Uh, let's just pretend, uh, pretend that the culture is not out there, which means that we become culturally accommodated. Uh, we just don't know it. And then there are other people who they want to engage the culture, and they're, they're doing that. And that doesn't, that doesn't just have to be somebody who's on television or radio or, or something else. Everybody has a Facebook page. Uh, and, and so you, you engage, but without that end result of, of calling people to reconciliation in Christ and, and keeping a long view of, uh, of what it is that we're called to. So let me, let me follow that, uh, Billy, if you don't mind. Let me follow that. With um, you mentioned earlier uh, at the beginning there, um, the part of our problem came from a, 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 this individualism that's going on, and it's it's really a libertinism. Like, and anything goes. What's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. And who am I to judge? Kind of thing. But we yeah. also are founded on a principle of rugged individualism as a country. How do we how do we um, communicate to our fellow countrymen and our fellow Christians? There is a rugged individualism aspect, but at the same time. That's not all there is. Well, I think uh, I think that's that's the key is the the understanding. I mean, think about think about, for instance, in the um, Obergefell decision, Justice Kennedy's uh, majority opinion, very similar to the opinion that he gave uh, in an abor- a famous abortion, infamous abortion case, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, uh, back in the back in the 1990s about. Uh, a, a person seeking the mystery of life in the, in the way he put it before, or the, the person uh, being able to, to have uh, dignity, personal dignity, and it's outside of the framework of our accountability to one another. And I think there's a, I think there's a way that we can, especially in American culture and especially in American culture right now, with the way that technology can give us the illusion that we don't have limits. It's easy to actually believe that uh, about ourselves. And so I think the way that we, we combat that is to, to find those areas where people who disagree with us um, do agree with us and say, okay, why do you think that? And, and let's, let's expand it. So, so um, for instance, on, uh, on issues of sexual freedom, the big, the big controversies right now, um, uh, there, there really aren't very many people in American life who would say, complete laissez-faire uh, on sexuality. They, they would say some things are moral, some things are immoral, and they'll show moral outrage on those things that they believe to be immoral. Well, that's a good opportunity to come in and say, okay, well, why? And let's, let's work that back. And that doesn't mean that our, I think one of the mistakes we sometimes make when we're arguing with people, whether that's, you know, sitting down at Starbucks having conversation or, or in, a, in a bigger uh, venue, is we assume that the way people change is by losing an argument in, in the moment. So you, you finish, there's the case, okay, I, I repent. And so sometimes that happens, but rarely does that happen. Usually it's a long-term thing where people start thinking through issues, they face a crisis in their own lives, and the sort of uh, the sort of world they've built for themselves won't answer won't answer those deep questions that they're having, and they need to know well where can I turn now? And so we need to be the sort of people who can who can keep the light lit to the old paths to get them there. And what do you think? I mean, and I know 
we can't always know. And I mean, we can't know what's going to happen in the future. But when you look at the fast, rapid nature of the change that has happened, I think, in the last couple of years, what do you think is driving that change? And when you talk about, because I know in the book you talk about a positive sort of vision for what the future of Christianity is, which is sort of the opposite of what a lot of other people are feeling in that sort of fear that you mentioned earlier. Why do you think things have moved so fast? And where do you see the future going, both in terms of culture and the Christian faith? Well, I really don't think things have moved as fast as it feels to Christians. Uh, I, I think that things have been moving along at a, at, a, at a fairly steady pace for a long time. But I think what happens is Christians don't pay enough attention to what's going on in the culture around them until it's suddenly on their, uh, on their doorstep. I think that's what happened in Roe vs. Wade, uh, and I think that's what's happening right now in a whole whole variety of issues, which is why one of the one of the things I I try to uh, talk about in in the book or try to encourage people to do in the book is to recognize that the most dangerous cultural issues that we face are usually not the things that are being debated right now on Facebook or or on the internet. It, it's the things that aren't being debated at all because we don't see them coming down the pike or because we've already accommodated to them. So you think about, for instance, in the, in the 1990s, there were a lot of uh, Christians who were kind of exuberant about uh, pornography. They were really getting somewhere on pornography because uh, local 7-Elevens and other stores were, were not selling pornographic magazines. What, what were they missing? It was the fact that there was a digital technology coming right behind that that would make porn ubiquitous with an illusion of anonymity. And it, it so took the church off guard that every single church leader is having to deal with multiple marriages, multiple lives that are being wrecked by, by porn. And so we, we have to be paying attention to uh, not, not just what's, what's happening right now, but what's what what could be right in front of us right now so do you think that issue you know porn because that's i've actually never thought of it that way that's really interesting do you think that that serves as a lesson that that christians should be looking at on a multitude of other issues that we might be facing now that maybe we're not seeing what comes next absolutely in in the um, chapter on on human dignity which is about the pro-life uh pro-life issue uh, broadly speaking uh, in onward i talk about um, I talk about how I think the porn example can can help us understand the abortion debate, because sometimes I think that Christians get a little um, a little over optimistic when they look at polling data that, that suggests that people are pro life. Um, when in reality, we need to be paying attention to where the abortion industry is is going. And I think the abortion industry is technologically savvy. And so we're moving toward a time where it could be that abortion becomes less clinical and more chemical, which does exactly the same thing uh, to, to the culture that, that porn did. I mean, the, the, previously, uh, somebody who wanted to access pornography had to decide to be the kind of person who was going to walk into a store and say, I want that magazine, or the kind of person who would go into a video store and go behind a, a curtain somewhere and, and just be willing to look at the clerk and say, yeah, I'm getting this. Uh, digital technology means 
that people don't have to decide that they're going to be that sort of person. They can they can deceive themselves into feeling as though they just kind of accidentally got there. I mean, there there was a a man who told me one time. I think I think I mentioned this uh, in the book. Who said to me? Uh, I was doing marriage counseling with him and his wife, and he said um, he said, "Yeah, porn happens to me occasionally." And my response was to say, unless uh, there is a, a naked woman jumping out of a cake in your kitchen, then porn is not happening to you. You are you are <laughs> you're out seeking <laughs> porn, you know. Uh, but that's the that's the allure of it. It's able to do that. And I think with a, with a abortion and with a number of other issues, the same thing is happening. Uh, my wife uh, texted me one day uh, about uh, being in line to get allergy medicine with a decongestant that she had to have, uh, she had to go and give her ID and everything so, so that uh, people wouldn't be buying the stuff to make uh, meth with it. And right in front of her, there were there was Plan B, all of these uh, abortion-causing uh, contraceptions, over-the-counter, no prescription necessary. I mean, I think we have to be aware of how technologically those things are shifting and moving, uh, which means we don't stop anything that we're doing in terms of uh, dealing with the issue as it is right now. But we're starting to prepare people for here's what you here's what you may be facing or the people in your communities may be facing in the future. So, Dr. Moore, I want to I want to ask you a question um, on on our ability to look forward and, and to anticipate what's coming down the road. And it's something we've been bad at. But I, I first want to ask you, I want to get your take on the Planned Parenthood videos that have been out there. What's your what has been your response to it? A lot of people have been outraged, and rightfully so. I would yeah. imagine someone as smart as you probably has another take or an advanced take on it, something we haven't considered. You know, I, I did not think that I would be shocked by the Planned Parenthood videos just because uh, I know what Planned Parenthood does. We, you know, th- Those of us who've, who've spent time working in the pro-life uh, movement, right. we, we know what goes on in those clinics. But it was... It, it, I just had to sit in silence for a while uh, after after seeing uh, all of these videos because what you're watching at that moment is a, a seared over conscience. Uh, someone who's able to, to speak so callously about, uh, about babies and about haggling over parts. And I, I think what's happening, though, is that some consciences are being pricked and awakened by this and I think this this just might be an impetus to a rejuvenated pro-life movement uh, in this country, uh, because uh, people people are are seeing something with their own eyes and hearing things with their own ears. It's not just theory anymore. And the first thing I thought about when I saw the pro the uh, Planned Parenthood videos was an old um, an old op-ed that uh, novelist Walker Percy wrote way back in the 1980s. Uh, where he's talking about abortion, and he said to he said to pro-choice America, he said, "You'll probably get what you want, but we're going to be here to tell you what you're doing. You can't avoid us telling you what you're doing." And uh, and I think that's what was happening in these in these videos. We're seeing what it is that's that's taking place in our own culpability in it. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say that because I've I've said since the first video came out, you know, that the debate over whether or not there's a sale of tissue and organs going on, that debate will continue and, and the people will go back and forth on it. And there are some edits that admittedly I think are a little bit deceptive in, in those videos. But to me, that's not the purpose. The purpose of the videos is you have 
um, in an abortion doctor in the last video and another worker standing over, you know, plates with with fetal remains on them laughing and acting like, you know, this is no big deal. I think that is what that is the image of abortion that pro-life people want the rest of the world to see. They want people to see what it is. And I think that these videos do that above anything else. And also the use of language uh, in public. Uh, the abortion industry is using language of pregnancy and clump of cells and, and, and so forth. And, but back there behind closed doors, they're talking about babies, and it's another boy, and here's the liver, and here's yeah. the heart. Yeah. So there's a recognition of what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. So let, absolutely. Let, let me ask you then, uh, back to the, the, uh, the church's or Christian's inabilities, uh, or I shouldn't say inability, our our habit of not looking forward and anticipating things coming forward. Like we were surprised by Roe v. Wade. We were surprised by this gay marriage thing. This, like somehow the culture had sped up or this, 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 and, and, and maybe in some ways it has, I don't know, but I think that you're, you're right. As far as our perception of it makes it, makes it seem like it has sped up and social media has, has led a, a big part of that. Right. Because it's, <clears throat> Yeah. We're, we're finally seeing, we're finally having conversations about ugly things that people didn't didn't know were going on, but they should have known all along these things were going on because mankind has done evil things to mankind for a long, long time. Um, but, yeah. uh, so I wanted to ask, how long has it been since, since the church has had, or Christians have had, I'd say the church, has had a forward-looking vision as far as knowing what's coming down the pike or being prepared for what's coming. Because it seems to me like if I look at the history of the American church, we haven't had a stellar history of it. I mean, I, I personally, I, in my readings, I have to kind of go back to the book of Acts and go, these guys actually looked forward because they looked at the Great Commission. They said, I have to go out and preach the gospel because there's bad things happening out there. There's people's lives who, yeah. are, who are being lost. I need to be a part of that. And they had a very mission-focused rather than self-focused uh, perspective on the world as, as Christians. What's, what, do you, are, are we close at all on that? Am I close at all in my understanding yeah. on that? Well, I don't think we have to go all the way back to the book of Acts to see that. I mean, I think we see that in, in many moments in American history. I mean, we just talked about the pro-life uh, movement. I talked about in the book that I think the pro-life movement, once, once the church got its act together, uh, actually is a model uh, for how we are to engage other issues. Because if you think about what, what the pro-life movement ultimately did was to come in and recognize we've got a multi-pronged strategy here, and we've got a long-term strategy, so we need to engage politically, we need to engage culturally, making the case as to why life matters. We need to do ministry to women and, who are in uh, crisis situations, who are pregnant, and then we need to, to do ministry to post-abortive women and men, uh, and to be able to do that from a gospel framework. That, and that's the reason why, if you were to go back in a time machine to 1973, and ask some uh, pro-choice group, what's the pro-life movement going to look like in 2015? They would probably laugh and say, there won't be a pro-life movement in 2015. This is is settled by the Supreme Court. But there is. And I think another another, uh, good uh, example is the civil rights movement of uh, people who came in and said, we have a minority viewpoint, but we're going to speak persuasively to the rest of uh, society. We're going to speak with authority, uh, and we're not going to give in. Uh, you see that in the abolitionist movement when it comes to, to slavery, both in the United States and in England. Uh, and um, I think you see it in, in the founding era 
uh, with uh, the early Baptists, for instance, and others, uh, who were talking about religious liberty and fighting for religious liberty, when the politicians were saying, oh, we don't need to, to actually write that down. Nobody's going to be oppressing religious liberty. And uh, they said, no, we, we, we insist on having a guarantee, and that's why we have a First Amendment. So if you could deliver one message to people who right now are – I mean we, we know this. A lot of Christians are very scared. They saw the Pew data a couple of months back that showed you know pretty big decrease in at least nominal Christianity in this country. Yeah. If you could deliver a message to them about the future of Christianity and about how they should react to everything that's been happening, what would that message be? Well, it uh, it actually would probably be something that in uh, in an anecdote that I talk about, I think in the first chapter of the book, is a conversation that I had with a, a lesbian activist who, um, I think she was an agnostic, completely disagrees with me on everything. But she wanted to talk about uh, why Christians believe the things that we believe about marriage and sexuality. And so we had this conversation, and she said, you know, she said, I just have to tell you, I don't know anybody who believes the things that you believe. She said, nobody. I don't know anybody who uh, who thinks that sexuality is uh, ought to be within marriage and that marriage ought to be defined in the way that you define it. She said, so it sounds really strange to me. And my response to her was to say, yeah, but I need you to know we believe stranger things than that. I mean, we believe a previously dead man is going to show up in the sky on a horse. Yeah. That's strange. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so I think that... We ought to have confidence in the message that we have, not because of our competence as messengers, but because we're not on the wrong side of history. Uh, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're the future kings and queens of the universe, joint heirs with Christ, the New Testament tells us. So the strangeness of Christianity in the New Testament is the very thing that causes it to have power. And so when, when people are showing some hostility to us, that doesn't mean that we're losing. It means in many cases that they're understanding finally what we're saying. And so when we see this, this data about uh, and all of the, the hand-wringing about is Christianity dying in this country. Christianity is not dying in this country because this, is, this has never been a Christian America if you define Christian the way the New Testament does in terms of the, the new birth. So when Christians say to me, are we, in a, are we in a post-Christian America? My response is to say, at best, we're in a pre-Christian America. And so we have the opportunity now with, with nominal Christianity where one had to have just enough Christianity to be normal in America and to, to make it without seeming like a freak, but not enough Christianity to be strange in America. Those days are, are over. It doesn't take courage anymore to say I'm an atheist or I'm, I'm not religiously affiliated. So we don't have more atheists and secularists in America. We just have more honest atheists and secularists in America. And I think that's a better situation to be able to stand, uh, to stand up and have a conversation about the things that matter. Um, one quick thing, and I know Chris has a question that you just sort of popped into my head. I think that's probably generally true, although the one area that has been intriguing to me is millennials and young people who do seem more than any other generation at this point in their lives, the boomers or anybody else, to be less affiliated. Do you think Do you think that media, entertainment, sort of the things that have, I guess, I, and I would say this is probably true in recent years, have intensified in their 
sort of anti-Christian or at least an absence of Christian content. Do you think those things have maybe had an impact on how young people view faith and religion? Well, see, I just don't have a negative view of uh, millennial Christianity. As a matter of fact, uh, the the most uh, the best things I I see going right now in Christianity are happening among uh, among millennial Christians. And when one actually looks at the at the data, and, and asks the question in terms of who goes to church, uh, rather than simply the question of who answers the phone and identifies I'm an evangelical or I'm a Catholic or I'm a I'm a whatever, uh, then the the millennial situation is is not the way that it's being portrayed. The millennials in my section of conservative evangelicalism are much better than uh, any generation of, of Christians that I've seen in a long time, and that's because uh, they haven't had to assume Christianity. They've had to positively articulate, this is what we believe, this is what it means to be a Christian. And so they, they've kind of been accustomed to living in uh, this sort of post-Mayberry America that uh, baby boomers and and Gen Xers are having are having such angst about. So I'm I'm not uh, I'm not pessimistic about millennials at all. I'm very optimistic about it. Yeah, no, and I think that's true too. That that the millennials who are who are Christians are probably stronger than many of the the people who were saying they're Christians in past generations. I guess it's the number of millennials that's a little bit alarming. That there are fewer of them. I mean that that seems to be consistent in almost every poll. Do you think? That's an issue, or do, or I mean, I guess how do you how do you stem that divide, or do you think that maybe there's more going on that we're not seeing? I think I think there's I think there's much more going on than people are paying attention to. And and you know, ten years ago, um, most of what I was having to say to churches is, hey, you need to be friendly and open to younger people and stop driving younger people away. I almost never have to say that anymore. Now what I'm having to do all the time is to come in and say, hey, don't run off the older people. Uh, you know, <laughs> try to accommodate. I was just in a in a huge uh, megachurch in, in Austin that started as a church plant with just a few people, and uh, they have earplugs at the door. Uh, so that uh, the older people who come in aren't going to be completely devastated by, by the loudness of the music. And so I think there's a, there's a great deal of vibrancy going on among, uh, among millennial evangelicalism, and it's not a light, shallow, uh, seeker-friendly sort of Christianity. It's, it's real-deal, book-of-acts uh, Christianity. I'm, I'm really encouraged by it. So, uh, Dr. Moore, you, you mentioned earlier that one of the areas where we can move forward is in, in the political area, in the political arena. You've got an event coming up uh, August 3rd and 4th. Uh, what is it called? It's the yep. Send North America Conference. Is that, did I get that right? Yes, that's right. So uh, there, t I want you to tell people uh, about the event, but my question involving that, and, and it's political and it's politics related, is that there was a big dust up about, Cruz, about uh, Senator Ted Cruz and former Governor Mike Huckabee not getting invites. Uh, has that has the dust settled from that little uh, skirmish? Uh, and can you tell us why or why they weren't invited, or has that changed? And, and and tell people about the conference as well. Well, because what what we wanted to do with the conference is to this is a conference of young evangelicals, church planters, and and young pastors, and we wanted to give a model of how to uh, have a conversation and to engage with people who are uh, political leaders. 
And so uh, we, we weren't able to have uh, 22 people on a platform uh, when I have uh, an hour there and say you each have, uh, you each have uh, 12 seconds uh, to get up and talk and answer the question. So we had to say here's the objective data. Uh, that we're going to invite people. We're going to invite people from both parties. We have a uh, there's a clear front runner on the Democratic side, Hillary Clinton. We invited her uh, to come as well. And then on the Republican side, we said, okay, May 1st, anybody who's 10% or over in the Real Clear Politics uh, polling average is who who will invite. And so that's what we did. All right. That's Very it. good. Well, listen, we, we appreciate you you coming on. We'd love to have you back again, and we'll make sure we link out to Onward so that people can get their hands on a copy of the book. Any uh, final words or messages that you'd uh, like to drive home? Well, uh, I just um, am, am – uh, the verse that's on my mind a lot these days is when Jesus says, uh, Fear not, little flock, for it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And I think, I think we need to remember that. Listen, it was great having you, and uh, good luck. Good luck yes, promoting the book so and, and dealing with all these important issues. Thank you, Dr. Moore. Thanks so much. Good to talk to you. And now, back to the church boys. They're a real pain in my And now it's time for Billy Hallowell's Outrage of... The week. That was like a very lethargic announcement of my outrage. Okay, I'll try, let me try again. And now it's time for Billy Hallowell's Outrage of the Week. I like that one. Is that better? Echo to it. Okay. All right. So my outrage this I've week. Still got a, is... I've got on my list of things to do is create a nice professional sounding bumper for you. It's on my list. And and I'll believe that week nineteen. No, it's on my. It's on my. It's on my list. I'm just not sure if I'll ever get. Whatever. Okay. You're a liar. Uh, but my outrage this week is once again Planned Parenthood, and we talked about this in the beginning of the show. But there's a complaint, and again, these are allegations. But we know the crime happened. We we know that the and I'm going to explain what the crime was, but it involved a 13 year old girl who was taken to Planned Parenthood uh, allegedly by her stepfather. And now this is the same Planned Parenthood, in fact, the Rocky Mountain Planned Parenthood in Colorado that was the subject of the fourth video that was released this past week um, by the undercover nonprofit, um, not Colorado Family Action, it's, uh, what's the name of the group? Why is this slipping my mind right now? Anyway, the the group that's releasing Alliance, Alliance Defending Freedom is one group. No, I'm talking about the group oh, that's releasing the videos. I wanted progressive to, medical ethics or something like that. Think, yeah, Center for Medical Ethics or whatever. Anyway, okay. they released the fourth video. It's the same clinic. This 13-year-old girl was apparently brought there in 2012 by her stepfather um, who wanted her, she was pregnant, wanted her to have an abortion. As it turns out, that stepfather had allegedly been raping her, no. molesting her. She was pregnant with his baby, but according to this complaint, and this is a complaint that's been filed by the Alliance Defending Freedom with Colorado's Department of Regulatory Agencies, they want Planned Parenthood investigated because what happened was they gave the abortion. They never notified her mother. Remember, this is her right. stepfather, and apparently right. under law, the parent is supposed to be notified. Mother had no idea this was going on. Not only did they give the girl an abortion, they also gave her a shot, a birth control shot, which a Oh. She claim, they the mother claimed she protested, but the stepfather obviously wanted her to have sent right. her home with him, and then the molestation apparently continued. Oh. So th- this girl went and told her mother, and he was and he was put in jail after and all of that. 
Now, we don't know the exact facts of what happened, but if this is true and Planned Parenthood gave the abortion of a 13-year-old with a stepfather there. Now, I did read the stepfather said he was her father. Yeah. Um, but they had different last names, which, right. which is sort of interesting. Not that that doesn't happen. Right. But the point is the mother sued after this happened, and Good. there was a settlement that is confidential. I don't know the details of it. I tried to get those details today. Um, and after that lawsuit now, the Alliance Defending Freedom wants this particular clinic to be investigated. Yeah, well, they should be. And Planned Parenthood has a record of doing this, where they will cover up rape and statutory rape, where they won't tell parents and they won't tell the authorities that these girls have obviously been abused. When a a 12-year-old girl comes in or a 13-year-old, 14-year-old, 15-year-old girl comes in pregnant, wanting an abortion, and is brought in by an older man, that means something. That ought to put off, set off alarm bells, and they don't care. They are well, all heard... about they they no they are about sexual freedom and abortion and they're for sexual freedom for two reasons one their moral compass is completely off two sexual freedom is good for the abortion business and they make a killing literally and figuratively off abortion. Yeah, what, what's crazy to me though is that one of the arguments why people don't need parental consent sometimes for these things is because, well, what if, you know, what if it's the person who, what if there's a parent who was raping them or a parent who was molesting them or, you know, that, that that's one of the reasons why kids can go and do these things and, and go and not have parental consent for it. But in this case, you had a stepfather who was apparently doing this yeah. and the mother was not notified. I just, it's unbelievable to me that a 13 year old. In this, you should have both parents should be aware of this. You can't both parents. Get, you if if you're at a if you're a youth group leader or you're at a school, you can't give a kid an aspirin without parent parental consent. Right. We, yeah. Yeah. I, I even remember that in school how crazy it was to try to even get a Tylenol. But the the fact is that something so as serious as this for a 13 year old girl. Even if even if a 13-year-old girl or 14-year-old girl was pregnant from a boyfriend and one parent was taking them to the clinic, both parents should have to sign on oh, to yeah. this. Both parents should have to be aware of this. How is it that even if he was her biological father, how is it that her mother had no clue that this was happening until two months after the abortion? That right. is – it breaks down the parent – child confidentiality oh, yeah. it, it breaks down the the relationship between a parent and a child but that's aside i'm talking about a scenario that would be different from this where there wasn't rape involved yeah well planned parenthood is an evil organization if you look at the stuff that they have put out that isn't that isn't pregnancy related but all about sexual freedom and sexual freedom for adolescents and stuff that's targeted to kids, little cartoons about sex and having sex that are targeted to children, you'll be appalled. Do a, do a Google search. No, don't do a Google search on it because you're going to wind up with a bunch of crap on your computer. But I'm telling you, if you can do it safely, do a search for the stuff that Planned Parenthood has put out because it is pure evil. And there's no other way to describe it. It is evil. And they are an evil organization. And they not only need to lose federal funding, which is, it's appalling that they receive a penny. They need to be shut down because they are pure evil. Yeah, I think, and I think that whole debate gets so, and I look, I don't think there's any chance they're going to lose federal funding right now. I think even no, with all the outrage and anger. There's not 60 votes in the Senate. There's not 67 votes right. to override a veto. 
you would need you would need enough Democrats to cross over, and they're not going to no, because no yeah of the claim of providing other health care services. Well, I don't understand because they though, launder is, because well, the, the the left the Democrats launder money through the labor unions, the gay lobby, and the abortion industry. That's what they they, they do a bunch of money laundering through there. That's why they'll never anyway. Sorry. Well, and look, look, on the other side of things, there are plenty of places that Republicans get their money from. And look, I don't like the way money works in politics at all. But I think in this case, we've got a series of problems now. We have a series, whether, again, whether clips are deceptively edited or not, we also, we had the Gosnell case. We've had a lot of cases now. I think, I would say Gosnell was the first wake-up call. This is the second wake-up call. I don't know if there'll be a third one, but I think you're going to see a lot of people start to look differently at abortion as time goes on. If there are 12 of these videos, which is the claim, and four of them are out, you've got eight more to come, and I guarantee they're going to get worse as they come. Yeah, I'm sure that they will. But it's that is an evil organization, and it is oh. so. Well, on that happy note, we should probably go kick off our weekends with our families, I suppose. Unless you're wanting our, to, our beautiful babies and families, right? Unless you're unless you're looking for an excuse to not hang out with Andrea and Ava. And oh no, I can hear them upstairs. They're waiting. So. Where's Dad? Where's Dad? Where's my Dad? Where's my Where's Dad? Dad's your Dad. Yes. Well, Ava, uh, your dad just delivered the mail. He'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chris. I know. I'm just Read horrible. your Quran, Chris. <laughs> Read your Quran. And the Bible. And, and uh, um, in remembrance of John Seidel, watch The Bachelor. <laughs> he didn't die. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's dead to us. Watch The Bachelor, The Bachelor, whatever garbage that is that he watches and pretends to be happily married. <laughs> And have a podcast about. I hate you. I do too. It's a, it's your face. Oh, he's just disgusted. I'll talk to you later. Bye bye. Bye bye. Church boy.